Amen. Grab your Bible and turn to the book of Micah. Micah is in the Old Testament. Uh, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. It's right next to the book of Jonah. If you can make your way there. We're starting a new series today called Justice and Love. And we're going to walk in the next nine weeks through the book of Micah and see what this prophet has to say to us. As you're turning to the book of Micah, let me give us a couple of thoughts to help us receive this book. Uh, Micah is one of 15 books that we call the prophets. Uh, sometimes the prophets are difficult to understand. So here's just a couple of things real quick as you're turning there to help us better understand it. So first, all of the prophets are about one basic thing. What's wrong with Israel and what God is going to do to fix it? So whether you're reading Isaiah or Amos or Micah, basically the idea is what's wrong with God's people Israel and what God is going to do to fix it. That's the first thing. The second thing, the book of Micah is God's holy and inspired word for us. So we saw this in 2 Timothy a few weeks ago. That means that this is God-breathed words. This is a scripture that points us to faith in Jesus. It teaches us how to live in him. So I think this book is going to do a great job at speaking to the many issues that we face here and now in our culture. It's going to show us God's great justice and love. It's going to show us how we can live as a people who seek to follow in God's justice and God's love. So I'm excited about this book. I think it's going to bless our church. Uh, and so today we're going to look at chapter 1 and 2 of Micah. This is the longest passage that we're going to read, uh, but I think you're going to be blessed today. So let's read the word of the Lord in Micah chapter 1 and 2. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, all you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. The Lord is from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. It will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. And I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentations like the jackals and mournings like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all in Bethlehem. Roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shaphir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zaanan do not come out. The lamentations of Beth Ezel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Maroth wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was in the beginning of sin to the daughters of Zion. For in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath, 
The houses of Aksib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Marashah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourself bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourself as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When morning dawns, they perform it because it's in their power, in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family, I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. In that day, they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portions of my people, how he removes it from me to an apostate. He allots our fields. Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children, you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest, because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. A noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes before them. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. Their king passes on before them. The Lord at their head. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. God, would you speak to us through it with power, with conviction? Would you show us our sin and would you show us our Savior? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wandered off and gotten lost? It, has that ever happened to you? You've, you've kind of wandered away and somehow you've gotten lost. I mean, we're told from a young age, aren't we, that you shouldn't be wandering off because you'll probably end up lost. So I remember as a kid wandering away from my mom at J.C. Penney's and getting lost in the department store. I remember as a teenager wandering off of the path of a state park here in Kentucky and getting lost out in the woods and having no idea where we were. I remember as a college student on a trip to Brazil wandering away from our group and being lost in a city with no idea where we were. It's dangerous to wander off, isn't it? I mean, somehow, though, we, we still manage to do it, don't we? Maybe you've never got lost at J.C. Penney's or... Maybe you've never been lost in the woods or lost in a foreign country, but I know that you've wandered off. All of us have. You see, that's the story of every single one of us, is that of a wandering sheep. The prophet Isaiah says this about us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. 
You see, we belong to a loyal and kind and generous creator who gives us life and blessings and love, but we all have wandered away from him. Some have wandered into a life of drugs and alcohol. Some have wandered into a life of sexual sin. Some have wandered into a life of greed and love of money. Some have wandered into a life of smug self-righteousness. You see, whatever it is, we all, like sheep, have wandered far from God. We've all gotten lost. And so this is where we find the people of Israel in the days of Micah. This is the people that God rescued from slavery in Egypt. He brought them into the promised land, and he brought them and rescued them so that they might belong to him and love him. But these people have wandered far from him. They wandered into years and years of idolatry, into years and years of injustice. You see, they had wandered far from their shepherd king. And so Micah turns to speak to Israel. And so he's also speaking to us today. Because we too, just like ancient Israel, have wandered far from God. And so today the goal for us is to see just how far we've wandered away from him. And what God has done to bring us back. So I want us to see first from chapters 1 and 2 that we have wandered into idolatry. All of us have wandered into idolatry. So when we open the book of Micah, we see that the word of the Lord has come to him. Micah is from Moresheth, that's south of Jerusalem. And his ministry was during the reign of these three kings during the divided kingdom. You see, after Solomon, there was a civil war in Israel. And the the nation was divided into two kingdoms. The capitals of those kingdoms are there in verse 1, Samaria and Jerusalem. So Micah's ministry as a prophet spanned about 25 years, and this book is a collection of his sermons and speeches and the word that he brought to the people of Israel. So let's see what Micah has to say. Look at verse 2 again. He says, Hear, you people, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. So the book opens with God coming to speak a word to his people, and it's a word of judgment. In verse 3, we see that God is leaving his holy temple in heaven and coming down to confront his wandering people. In verse 4, we see the whole earth melting before the weight of his anger and his judgment. But why is God so angry? Why is he coming to judge? Well, look what verse 5 says. All of this is for the transgression of Jacob, for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? God is coming down to judge the sins of his people. And those sins are a sin of idolatry. Look at verse 7. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned by fire. All her idols I will lay waste. God is angry Because his people have wandered into idolatry. You see, Micah tells us in verse 9 that this idolatry is like a wound or a cancer, a sore that's spreading through all of Israel. He then goes on through the rest of chapter 1 to call out nine different cities for for their part that they played in bringing idolatry to the people of God. You see, the worship of idols is a cancer ruining all of God's people. So what is idolatry and and why is it so bad? Well, let's say that I wanted to put pictures of my wife all over my office here at the church. I print a bunch of them off. I get frames. I hang them up. 
and I bring Jeannie in and I say, hey, Jeannie, what do you think? And she looks and she sees photograph after photograph of Beyonce in my office. She would be pretty mad, right? What are you doing with Beyonce all over your office? Now I could say to her, that's not Beyonce, that's you. She would say, that's not me. And you better get rid of those pictures. When, when God saved Israel, he married them to himself. And he said to them, you should love me and you shall not make any idols to worship me. But remember what Moses does when he comes down from the mountain receiving the law from God? He sees a golden calf that they've created. God, Aaron says, this is the gods that rescued us out of Egypt. And Moses says, that's not Yahweh. That's not the God that saved us. And you better get rid of it. You see, right from the start, God's people had an idol problem. Sometimes they made idols to worship the true God, but that was wrong. And other times they just went and made idols to worship other gods. And that was even worse. And so God is sending the prophet Micah to confront over 500 years of the people of Israel worshiping idols. Now you might be thinking, man, that's bad for them, but it's good for us. I mean, we don't make idols, right? We don't make statues and, and say this is the God that rescued us, so we're good, right? But idolatry is not just an Israel problem, it's a human problem. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 1, 23 and 25. He says, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, for idols resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. Now, we might not be a people who literally make statues and bow down to them, but make notice, mistake, we have our idols too. Dwight Moody once said, you don't have to go to foreign lands today to see false gods. America is full of them. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. If you love money more than God, it's your idol. If you love success more than God, it's your idol. If you love social media, if you even love you more than God, that is your idol. But how do we know if we actually love something more to God? Well, more than God. Well, if you're willing to disobey God to get it, then that's probably a good sign that it's an idol to you. If it brings you more joy and excitement than your relationship with the Lord, then that's probably a good sign that it's an idol to you. You see, the question for us is not, do we have idols? The question is, what are they? And what are we to do about it? Well, Micah shows us here in chapter 1 how to respond to our idols. In verse 8, he laments and he wails over the sin of idolatry. In verse 16, he calls Israel to, to cut off their hair and to go into a time of mourning. Both of these are signs of repentance. Today, God is calling us to repent of our idols. He's confronting them in our hearts and wanting us to repent of them. So God wants us to be honest and confess that, yes, we have wandered far from him. And then our hearts have chased the idols of this world. So let's just, as we start this series in Micah, let's just begin right there with the humble confession that, yes, we have loved things more than the God who loves us and saves us. There's a lot of things wrong in this world 
We're going to dig deep into some of those in this book, but let's start by saying there's a lot of things wrong here in me, in us. God is giving us his word, confronting his people of their idol worship and calling us to repentance. You see, we will never live the life that God desires us to live unless we first repent of failing to love him as he deserves. So brothers and sisters, let's agree with God today that we have wandered into idolatry and let's repent of those idols that so easily have our hearts. So that's the first thing we see. Number two, we've wandered into injustice. So not just idolatry, but injustice as well. So we turn to chapter two. You can look there in your Bibles. And we see Micah confronting another major problem with Israel. Remember, I said earlier, the point of the prophets is to show us what's wrong with Israel. And we see that they've wandered not only into idolatry, but also into injustice. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 again. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When morning dawns, they perform it because it's in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Look down at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2. But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses, and their young children you take away my splendor forever. You see, during this time in Israel, there was a wealthy upper class, and their wealth led them to mistreat the poor. They stole their land. They stole their homes. They stole their money. I mean, things were so bad that Micah tells us there in verse 1 that their hearts were set on injustice night and day. They're lying in bed dreaming of ways that they can mistreat the poor around them. And notice in verse 2 that Micah connects their injustice with coveting. Coveting is wanting something that you can't have, something that's not yours, and it's a form of idolatry. And it makes sense, right? When our hearts are filled with idols, it's natural then to mistreat others. When we fail to keep the greatest commandment of loving God with all our heart, then we'll fail to keep the second greatest commandment, loving our neighbor as ourself. Israel was doing a terrible job at keeping both of these commands. You see, nearly all of the prophets condemn Israel for wandering into injustice. The poor were oppressed. Widows were neglected. Orphans were forgotten. Foreigners were cast away. And so God sends these prophets to confront not just their idolatry, but also their injustice. Jeremiah says, do justice and righteousness. Isaiah says, cease from evil, learn to do good, seek justice. Amos says, let justice roll down like a river. And even later in Micah chapter 6, we'll see him say, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. So Micah is writing here in chapter 2 to warn Israel that God's judgment is coming for their injustice. In verses 3 and 5, he says God is going to devise judgment for those who are devising injustice. And in verse 10, he says destruction is coming. But notice in chapter 2 how the people of God, they don't want to hear it. In verse 6, look at what he says. The people are saying to him, don't preach. Don't, no one should preach of such things. Disgrace will never overtake us. Don't, don't talk about that, Micah. We're good with God. God's good with us. Don't preach about injustice. You know, injustice is a hot topic right now in our culture. 
I mean, the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and others this past year have everybody talking about injustice. The separation of families at the Mexican border have everybody talking about injustice. Issues of police reform on both sides of mistreating people have everybody talking about injustice. The sins of racism and classism and nationalism have everybody talking about injustice. But there's a temptation that we have in the church to be just like Israel. Many in the church are saying, don't preach about injustice. Just preach the gospel. Just preach about how God loves us and how God wants to bless us. Don't call us out for our sins of injustice. Just tell us how much God loves us. God certainly does love us. And he loves us to confront the injustice that's in us. Now, you might be thinking, I've, I've never done that. I've never treated anyone unjustly. But if injustice is simply at its core a failure to love our neighbor as ourselves, then all of us have done that, right? All of us in one way or another have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so God wants to confront that in us. He's using his word to confront us. Look what Micah says in verse 7. Should, he says, do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. Micah knows that God has sent him to speak these words to Israel to confront their sin of injustice and to help them repent of it and to walk in justice as God requires. You see, the gift of the book of Micah is a gift of grace to Israel so that they might walk in justice and in love. And that means the gift of Micah is, a, is the book of Micah is a gift of grace to us. To help us walk in justice and love. You see, God didn't give us the Bible so we could prove how everybody else is wrong about justice. A lot of people right now are very wrong about justice. But the Bible is not given so that we can prove them wrong. God gave us his word to confront the ways that we sin against others. To confront the ways that we walk in injustice. Now, we're going to learn later in the series what that even means. How do we seek justice? But, but here's what I want us to do today. I just want us to humble ourselves under the word of God. Let's allow the word of God to confront the ways that we are not loving other people like God requires. Let's put ourselves under this book and let's let it challenge us. Let's not try to wiggle, away or wiggle around it or find loopholes to not loving other people. Let's just say this word together. Say this prayer together. God, let your word teach us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Brothers and sisters, let's be humble enough to admit that we too have wandered into injustice. And let's allow God's word to lead us in his justice and his love. So if we've wandered into idolatry and into injustice, then, man, it sounds pretty hopeless for us, right? Sounds like we're a mess. Well, Micah finishes chapter 2 with the message of hope. Micah reminds us that, yes, we have wandered far from God, but we have a shepherd king to rescue us. Number three, lastly, we have a shepherd king to rescue us. Remember, the point of the prophets is to show us what's wrong with Israel, but also to show us what God is going to do about it. And in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2, Micah tells us, here's what God is going to do about it. His people have wandered into idolatry. They've wandered into injustice. And he's going to come now as a shepherd king 
to rescue his wandering people. Notice first that God is coming to shepherd them. Look at verse 12. He says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. Micah describes there God as a, as a great shepherd. The, the people of Israel are scattered and they're in exile. And so he's going to come and gather them together and bring them home. The people of God are also scared. They're like a bunch of bleeding sheep. But God comes to make them then lie down in green pastures. God's people have wandered far, but God will come to shepherd them again. And notice second that God is coming as king. Look at verse 13. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. Micah describes God here as a great king. Israel is like an army that's captured in an enemy city. But God is going to come and, and break through the gates to give people freedom and lead them into victory. God's people have wandered far, but God is going to come to be their victorious king again. You see, the great hope for God's wandering people is God himself. It's not better law keeping. It's not better religion. If God's people are going to stop their wandering, then God himself is going to have to do it. The good news for us today is that in Jesus Christ, God has come to put an end to our wandering. You see, what Micah saw from a distance, we get to see up close and personal. Micah saw a day when God would come as a great shepherd king to rescue his people. And in Jesus, we see that that day has actually come. So it's no wonder then that Jesus would be born in the line of David, that great shepherd king of old. It's no wonder that when Jesus sees the people of Israel, he sees them as a, as a shepherd, as a, as a flock of sheep who are helpless and harassed with no shepherd. It's no wonder that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And it's no wonder that he says, my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus is the great shepherd king of Micah. And he is what God has done to rescue us from our wandering. But there's a twist in the story. In order for Jesus to rescue us from our wandering, he would have to lay down his life. You see, for lost sheep to be found, our sins would have to be laid on Jesus. He would have to be pierced for our transgressions. He would have to be crushed for our iniquities. He would have to be wounded so that we could be healed. And the beauty in all of this is that Jesus did it willingly for us. That's why he said in John 10, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. I lay it down. You see, the cross of Jesus is the greatest display of God's justice and love. Jesus bears every ounce of God's justice, and we receive every ounce of God's love. You see, the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The king is crucified to set his people free. Jesus sheds his blood so that God's wandering people might be rescued, so that the lost might be found. And so some of you need to run home today for the first time. See, there's two types of people in the world, lost people and found people. And without Jesus, you are lost. 
doesn't matter if you've been good. It doesn't matter if you've gone to church your whole life without Jesus. You're lost. He's the only way to be found. He lived the life you could never live. He died the death you deserve. He rose again on the third day to rescue you from your wandering. If you would repent of your sin and trust in Jesus today, you can be found and you can come home to God. So would you trust in Jesus today and be found? If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. To believe in Jesus, to repent of your sins, and to run home to him today for the first time. Some of us need to rest today in the good shepherd. Life is full of so many reasons to be restless. The problems out there, the problems in here. But just think about the beauty of that image. Jesus is our good shepherd. That means he protects you. He cares for you. He loves you. No matter the pain, no matter the sorrow, no matter the worry, no matter the suffering, your good shepherd says to you, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Your good shepherd says, I will give you eternal life and you will never perish and no one will ever snatch you out of my hand. You may feel scattered, you may feel scared, but Jesus knows you. He loves you. He's got you. Rest well today in your good shepherd. And others of us today need to remember the victory of our king. Micah calls Jesus in verse 13 literally the one who breaks through or the breaker. Jesus is the breaker. What a powerful image that is. Jesus breaks through anything that stands in his way. He breaks through the powers of nature. He breaks through the powers of disease. He breaks through the powers of darkness. The storms could not shake him. The devil could not stop him. The demons could not silence him. Unbelief could not hinder him. Sin could not harm him. Death could not hold him. Jesus is the breaker and he will leave, lead us into victory. You can have victory over your addiction, victory over your anxiety, victory over your lust, victory over your selfishness. But it's not going to be because of you. It's going to be because of King Jesus. Remember today the victory of your king. You see, brothers and sisters, we have a shepherd king who came to rescue us. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let's look to him. Let's trust him. Let's follow him. Let's remember how far we have wandered into idolatry and into injustice. And let's remember just how far he went to bring us back. Jesus sought us with his life. He bought us with his death. And he brought us to God with his resurrection. So no matter how far our hearts might wander from God, Jesus will always be there to bring us home again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. God, what a, what a blessing it is to, to have this book that shows us just the depths of our sin. And as we read earlier in Psalm 130, God, if, if you kept a record of our sin, if you had a little black book where you wrote everything down, God, who could stand? If you wrote down every idol that we've loved more than you, if you wrote down every act of injustice, every failure to love our neighbors as ourselves. God, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be feared. 
God, with you there is forgiveness because you sent your son, Jesus, to be our great shepherd king. To live and to die and to rise again. So that we might be saved. So we might be rescued. So we might be brought home from our wandering. God, I pray for those here today who don't know you, God. Who've never trusted in Jesus. God, maybe they think they're good with you because they're here at church or because they've been a good person. God, help them to see that without Christ, they are lost. But in Christ today, they can be found. God, would you draw them to yourself? Would you give them faith today? Would you bring them to repentance and trust in Christ so that they might be saved even today? And God, for those who are heavy, laden, and weary, and restless, God, would you help them to rest in their good shepherd today? The one who knows them and loves them and cares for them. God, would you help them to see the hope that they have in a good shepherd who says, no one will ever, nothing will ever snatch you out of my hands. And God, for those of us feeling defeated today, God, would you show us the victory of our king, the one who breaks through the powers of sin and death, the powers of worry and anxiety, the powers of lust and anger, the one who breaks through addiction, the one who frees us from anything. God, would you help us to trust in that victory that he purchased for us even as he broke through death and rose from the grave on the third day. God, we thank you for our shepherd king. May we trust him. May we love him. May we serve him. May we rest in his justice and in his love. And may we walk in his justice and in his love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.